everybody. This is Spur of the Moment from Lasso Digital. I'm Annika Pelkey. On this episode, I had a wonderful chat with Jody Fisher from Adelante. From running nonprofits to specializing in international development, Jody's had a rich career in the nonprofit sector. She shared some of her insights into improving nonprofit organizations and the joys that keep her coming back to the sector. I'd love to get started with you telling me just a bit about your career, Um, maybe a rundown of your time in the nonprofit sector, maybe what brought you into this field, anything you'd like to share. Okay. Yeah, I've worked both nationally and globally for nonprofits, as well as government contractors and foundations over the last 15 plus years doing a variety of community development related projects that touch upon global health, education, climate, clean energy, economic development. And the reason I was attracted to this field of humanitarian work after losing my father as a teenager, I I really felt that life is short and I better do something meaningful with what I have of it. So I spent a year studying in Cairo in college and seeing the extent of poverty just blew my 20-year-old brain. I just I just was very moved and decided I, I needed to do something to contribute to the issues that really plague some of the countries. Um, we have challenges that in, in the U.S., but it just doesn't even compare with some of the issues other countries face. And I work with Adelante Foundation as their development director. But I'm also the only U.S.-based person that works for the organization. We reach 5,000 to 8,000 women a year through microfinance in Honduras, Um, women living in poverty so that we can give them a hand up instead of a handout through microloans and education. But as development director, we have an incredible team of almost 50 Hondurans that implement this work. But I'm the only U.S. person that is responsible. So essentially, I I wear a lot of different hats. I'm responsible for strategizing with the board of directors who are U.S. based, most of them, and executing all aspects of the fundraising strategy, as well as doing any additional things that might need attention, such as marketing and a host of administrative things and liaising with any groups or individuals or funders that wish to go to Honduras. The organization is 22 years old. It started in the aftermath of Hurricane Mitch. And the founder had grew up in Honduras, had dual citizenship, and he got in touch with several of his friends and and network in the country and said, you know, there's a lot of great organizations doing disaster relief, but what can we do that helps with the long-term recovery? And the more he learned, the more he realized that microfinance was a really powerful, sustainable development solution because it allowed women to and families to get back on their feet. They decided to focus primarily on women because they are known to be better stewards of their funds that they make and they reinvest the majority of those profits back into the welfare of their families. Uh, And so the organization has kind of grown over the years. There's different loan products that we have started to provide. At first, it was a we were a Grameen Bank replicator. So the majority of our funds initially were were given in small Mm -hmm. groups so that anywhere from, you know, five to 10 women would be responsible for repaying on the loans if one of them defaults 
consulted. But now we offer a range of different micro loan products that range from individual working capital so that they can start and grow businesses. But we also have ones that are related to water and sanitation, agriculture. We even have small loans for education so that women who have children who are have barriers to paying for their uniforms, transportation, academic materials, that we are able to make sure that their children are, are going to school, which also helps contribute to breaking those intergenerational cycles of poverty. So how did you get involved with Adelante? I currently live in Colorado. One of the board members had reached out to me during COVID. And because I have a background working in Spanish-speaking countries combined with, I had actually taught a course at the University of Denver with one of the board members as well. So it was kind of a convergence. I really, I was consulting at the time and I really wanted to maintain my client base. But when they presented me with the opportunity to serve this population, I just couldn't say no. That must have been a really interesting time to get started with the organization, being that it was during COVID. Were there any like specific challenges you remember that came from that or any things of note? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I really like to feel connected with the beneficiaries of, of the mm-hmm. organizations that I support. So I would say, you know, not having the ability to travel to Honduras during that first, you know, big chunk of time was challenging because mm-hmm. it is just harder to tell stories and fundraise for organizations when you don't have that personal connection with the individuals who are benefiting from the programs of, of the respective organization. But no, I mean, I've, I've worked from home um, prior to COVID. So working remotely is not something new to me. So I'm very lucky that the Adelante Foundation Board of Directors are very active. They're a working board. So I was I was grateful to have, um, you know, maybe I don't have water cooler talk at home with my <laughs> colleagues, but I am very fortunate that the Adelante Foundation Board are, are an incredible and very capable, well-qualified group of people. Well, as you mentioned before, you've worn a lot of hats in the sector. Um, you've worked as an executive director, development director. Uh, you've been a consultant and been an adjunct professor. So you seem like you have a very good grasp on the sector and kind of what makes nonprofits work. I'd love to hear if you have any kind of like main things that stick out to you that you've learned from your time working in the nonprofit arena. Within the fundraising development context, I mean, one of the things I've learned is, you know, almost all organizations can benefit from diversifying their income sources. It's also super important to have humility. And in terms of leadership, it's it's really valuable when they can accept that they won't know what they don't know. So most of us, we we, we have a sense of what we don't know and there, we have a sense of, of what we know, but often we we don't know what we don't know. And unless we are willing to be open to hearing from outside sources or internal sources, hey, like how can we do a better job of, of figuring out what those things are? I find that to be an incredibly important piece of what nonprofits need to do. It sounds like you have a good understanding of how to kind of take nonprofits to the next level. Uh, Would you mind telling me a little bit more about tips you have for kind of building up a nonprofit, maybe from the ground up? From the ground up, I mean, there's 
I mean, there's, there's so much, I mean, there's a lot of people who I'd, I'd say run the organization like a business, utilize best business practices, have a, you know, there's just too many nonprofits out there, you know, how that have lovely, good, promising intentions, but that's simply not enough. So really having advisors around mm-hmm. you who are able to help with starting the organization with some very good business practices is very essential. I'd say making sure that leadership, often nonprofits are founded by an incredibly strong and often charismatic leader, but making sure that that does not become a hindrance. So meaning, you know, making sure that you have a a number of different people on the team who who bring different types of expertise to the table that are are capable of working efficiently and effectively together. And as as organizations grow, I always am recommending things like, you know, an annual SWOT analysis, identifying strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats, always reevaluating purpose and objectives, making sure to really gather and analyze what's working, what's not working. I'm always a fan. I know it's a little bit time intensive, but doing 360 reviews, it's really valuable to make sure that all the different team members are getting a chance to connect with and and evaluate the their experience working with one another. I, I find that sometimes organizations are really good about collecting information from employees, but not necessarily asking that those employees are also evaluating their their higher ups. And it's just, you know, a very, I think, valuable practice to make sure that you kind of nip things in the bud if things aren't quite right. Uh, You kind of mentioned the importance of finding out what you don't know when you're building up a nonprofit and growing. Do you mind talking a little bit more about how folks can perform fee reviews? I know you kind of talked about the importance, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about like what goes into it. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I feel like those are two different things, um, like SWOT analysis versus a 360 review. But, and you know, SWOT analysis is not going to necessarily be valuable unless the organization has been in operation for at least a year or two. Same with 360 reviews. I mean, there are lots of resources out there. I know that when I was doing microfinance on a domestic level, we were often working with entrepreneurs, whether it was a nonprofit or a for-profit business. But, you know, getting that outside help, like if you're not able to gather a a board of directors or a team right off the get-go, I do think it's important that whatever good idea you have as a a potential nonprofit program that to tap into community or city resources that might be available to review the business plan or the nonprofit business plan. Those would be some strategies that I would recommend. But in terms of the ins and outs of a SWOT analysis, I think a lot of organizations may collect information internally from their both leadership and employee groups. But I would I would say making sure to also ask other stakeholders, whether that be partners that you work with or other entities that are very familiar with the work that you're doing, but are are capable of, of helping identify those different buckets, whether they be the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, or, or threats that your organization or the individuals who are in it face. I'd love to hear maybe recommendations that you have for organizations that are finding out these things that they might not know, finding out 
like long lists of things they need to tackle. Something that the nonprofit sector is notorious for is not having quite enough resources. So maybe not enough time or money to tackle their entire list of things they've found they need to address. Uh, So I'd love to hear your suggestions for organizations figuring out what to prioritize. Oh, that's such a great question. Yeah, it really depends on the size and composition of the team. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the leader, whether it be the executive director or the chair of the board or working concurrently can um, kind of help identify like, gosh, these are the these are the three things that just keep consistently coming up that deserve our attention. Yeah, there's no singular way or best way, but I would say that, you know, making sure to, to try not to bite off more than you can chew. I always like doing, you know, like having a list of 10, but really making sure like, let's, let's pick the top three that everyone can kind of Mm -hmm. agree upon. Um, Make sure to get buy-in on it because, you know, the ones you actually have to implement on whatever those priorities, priorities might be is essential. But yeah, I mean, any given priority may have different types of timelines and resources that they may require. So, of course, taking that into consideration, I find that often what happens is it takes money to implement some of the priorities. Right. And sometimes mm-hmm. when you lack capacity, it is difficult to attract those funds. But if you don't, ha- you know, if you're not willing to then I'm not, I'm not sure how to better say it. Like if you, if you don't have the funds, it's harder to get the capacity, but if you don't have the capacity, it's harder to attract the funds. So, you know, making sure to perhaps even identify like, Hey, this is what we want to do. And then going, having a strategy to reach out to um, some major donors who might be willing to support that specific endeavor. Something that's been on my mind a lot, working so closely with the nonprofit sector, is kind of investment in overhead. I'd love to just kind of get your thoughts on considering that a lot of donors really prefer that they maybe invest less in overhead, but sometimes it might help their organization more to have more overhead costs. I'd love to just get a feel for what you kind of think about nonprofits investing in overhead and how much you think they should do it and all of those factors that they're kind of balancing when making those decisions. Sure. Yeah. There, I have seen a shift in the industry over the last five plus years. There's more, I'd say 10, 15 years ago, I saw a lot of people demanding that, that organizations spend very little on overhead or they, you know, were more likely to attract funding if they had a smaller composition of overhead to programs. That said, there's a great book called Uncharitable that I think became very widely referenced and read that I think helped dispel the disadvantage that kind of identify the disadvantages of that type of thinking. I always kind of frame it in the let's let's make sure that nonprofits work more like a business, because if we expect businesses to be success or, you know, if we expect nonprofits to be successful, then, of course, they're going to have to invest in the similar things that businesses do. And what nonprofit means is that they're reinvesting those proceeds back into the organization, which people should want organizations to do. So (laughs) kind of in that same vein, I'd love to hear, since you've worked in the nonprofit sector for quite a while, I'd love to hear what you have kind of found that would maybe make or break an organization. Mm, I feel like there's probably 
two or three things. First, I'd say systems that help streamline operations and support staff on achieving priority goals is is very important. I'd also say that taking the time and effort necessary for making sure that leadership is operating with integrity and also helping to cultivate teamwork amongst those needing to work with one another are probably the three things that I can think of that um, help make or break an organization. I think that there's a lot of nonprofits that are a little bit all over the place. There, it's just very easy to be like squirrel. You know, there's just so many things that need and could and should be done at any given time. Like one of the things I like to do when I start working with an organization is really evaluate like, okay, is your CRM system working for you in the way that you need it to? Is there integration with your communications, whether that be MailChimp, Constant Contact, et cetera, making sure that some of those infrastructure uh, operational pieces are, are actually doing what you need them to do and are, I mean, because there's so many new tech things that come on the market at any given year, it's just important to kind of occasionally evaluate whether or not they're allowing you to be as efficient as you can be as an organization. Um, in terms of leadership, I mean, that's why I brought up the like value of doing 360 reviews and, and not just 360 reviews, but making sure that the leadership team, whether it's an individual or a group, is making time for things that help them to stay current on uh, best methodologies for what it, whatever it is they're doing whether it be industry or role specific. As for team members, I mean, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I think that there's there's some organizations that are so, I'd say, reactive and it's always putting out fires and doing what, what's absolutely needed at any given moment. But when you're taking the time to be a little bit more proactive um, and also making sure that you're cultivating intercommunications that are helpful um, is really is really important. I've, I've worked with several different nonprofits where they're just isn't enough time or attention paid to making sure that, you know, so-and-so is doing this and so-and-so is doing that, but unless there's also some, some opportunities for them to, you know, that connect so that they're not all working in silos is, is very valuable. I'd like to take a little bit of a shift here. As a development director, you definitely uh, have some great insights into nonprofit fundraising. I'm kind of curious about any differences you've maybe seen in terms of fundraising for international organizations like the one you're working with now or strictly like regional or smaller national organizations that maybe you've worked with in the past? You know, I really don't. I don't see that many differences to success. Um, I'd say the international ones, what I, the biggest difference I see is that the, the importance and value of making sure that supporters or prospective supporters have the opportunity to see the work in progress. So I do think that having, you know, there's different terms that different organizations use for them, but um, whether it's called impact tours or, you know, essentially getting the either individuals, families, or small groups to the country in which the beneficiaries reside is is a really important piece. That makes sense. Sweet. I'd like to hear now uh, if you have any tips for organizations that are maybe just starting off or looking to build their fundraising footing. Um, if you have any tips for stepping up these smaller organizations fundraising game. 
tips. Oh, goodness. Well, I'd say, you know, any nonprofit, whether it's first, you know, it's it's small and just starting or larger and further along, there's inevitably people who are wearing many different hats or need to wear different hats. And I just say the two P's persist and prioritize. And sometimes that may be daily in terms of reevaluating what deserves to be prioritized. But yeah, I think that, you know, persistence is something that I have seen kind of wax and wane. I think that there's some people that either lack the confidence or skills. And I just, I, I'm just continuously inspired by the human spirit and capabilities of what people can accomplish. And although wearing too many hats is not necessarily the best thing because then you can't excel in any one of them. But I would say that but, you know, have have faith, persist. <laughs> There's so many incredible people and resources out there to learn what you might need to learn in order to, you know, learn whatever skill or or take on whatever next challenge. But I hope that's not too vague. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's great. I think you mentioned a little bit earlier about the importance of allowing folks the time that they need for their projects. Uh, Would you mind going a little bit more in depth into that kind of the importance of protecting time for staff? Yeah, in terms of protecting time, I mean, I mean, there's two ways, right? There's protecting our own time. And then there's if we're in a position of leadership, making sure to protect Mm -hmm. the time of others. I know, for example, like I on any given week, I'm trying to do a combination of writing grants, identifying grants, following up with major donors, running reports. Anyway, the the, the list goes on and on. But when I know that there's like a focused like writing that has to be done, I just will literally carve out whether it's four hours or two, two days of four hours. Like I turn off all my tech, my notifications, and I do not schedule meetings during those days. I just know that in order for me to make progress on the grants, given it's such a long timeline and pipeline, right, that has to be considered that just really kind of making sure to focus on the time management at peace so that you're you're allocating and and protecting the 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 chunks of time that are necessary to accomplish that kind of work. You mentioned a little bit earlier what kind of brought you into the nonprofit sector. I'd love to kind of tie things up with hearing a little bit about what's keeping you in the nonprofit sector. Oh, goodness. It's really, you know, it's not the money, that's for sure. Uh, (laughs) I it's the beneficiaries, I think. So when I used to work for a USAID contractor in Washington, D.C., I loved so many aspects of that. But I really didn't feel very connected with the work, the impact of the work. Whereas nonprofits, I feel I have so many more opportunities to regularly see the benefits of the support. So, for example, you know, I was recently in Honduras a few months ago. And when I'm there, I'm usually doing a combination of client site visits where I shadow the well-being officers, as well as connecting with the leadership team, gathering information for reports. But it's those client site visits that I just really move me. So for example, we were, I was with one of our, our branch office managers and we visited one of the clients who sold used clothing was her, was her business. She would collect donated clothes and resell them like a thrift store here, but on a much smaller scale. 
And he, the well-being officer stepped away for a few minutes to take a phone call. And, you know, on these client site visits, we're always asking them a series of questions and how their business is doing. But with the, the time I had with her as he was gone, I, I just looked at her and I said, OK, I've heard how your business is, but I want to hear how you are. And she just started to tear up. And, you know, I knew that the at Honduras is, you know, 70 percent of the population live in poverty. And I, I know that they that people that we serve face a lot of different challenges. But I'm always surprised at the volume of positivity and hard work that the women we work with demonstrate. And this woman just kind of said, gosh, you know, it's it's been extra hard. Like, you know, I lost my twin sister a few few months ago and I just I've been really been struggling. So on top of COVID impacts and on, on top of hurricane, there was a hur- two hurricanes that hit the country two years ago, and they're still kind of recovering from. But having a personal loss in her family on top of all of these other things was just, and then for her to say, but this business gives me purpose. It, I want to get up in the morning. I, I am excited that I have this opportunity to make money to help myself and my family and my kids so that we don't have to continue to live in the same level of poverty anymore. And just having those kinds of women speak so freely about their experiences, it's just like, it's just, yeah, there's nothing, there's just nothing that can replace feeling connected with the impacts of programs when you have that chance to connect directly with the beneficiaries. That is really powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I guess to finish up, are there any things that you would like to say? Any shout outs you have for your your organization or anything like that? Oh, I would say anyone interested in, in starting a nonprofit, good luck. It's it's such hard, rewarding work. Make sure that, you know, you're doing, you, you know, surrounding yourself with other people who can help you along that journey. In terms of shout outs, I love working with the board of directors. Janet Lautenberger is one of my favorites. Lindsay Doolittle's our our current chair of the board. I love seeing an organization that is serving women, led by women. And I think that any nonprofit should always make sure that they are they have representation on their board and leadership team of, of those that they serve. Moment is produced by Lasso Digital, a marketing and fundraising agency with the goal of helping nonprofits raise more funds, spread their vision, and achieve their mission. Our show is directed by Annika Pelkey, edited by Katie Janner, and our music is by Sean Hess. To find more episodes of Spur of the Moment or to find out more about Lasso, check out our website, lassodigital.co. Mm-hmm.